Many things come to mind when we think about focus. This year we've really tried to get people to look a little bit more upward. As Isaiah 40, verse number 26 tells us that we are to lift up our eyes upon high. And I really desire for us to have that in our mindset this whole year, that we would look to the Lord, because there are so many things that take us away from really our gaze upon the Lord. And again, what determines really our view of self is really looking to the Lord and how we see ourselves, looking at Him primarily. And I appreciate the song. Uh, I think it's important for us to look at our text this morning, and I I may be shorter than normal, we'll see what happens, but I I think it's important for us to look at this chapter in a new light. Maybe you have read this. Maybe you have understood Revelation somewhat. I I just, uh, Monday night, was talking to someone on the phone. Uh, They were in kind of need of some help. I was uh, at, actually at Liz's and uh, uh, Curtis's over there at the apartment and uh, was, was having some dinner with them. And, and someone called me. That same person asked me what I was preaching on today. And I told him I was repeat, preaching out of Revelation chapter 4. And he said, yikes, Revelation scares me. And maybe it scares you, I don't know. Or maybe you don't understand what it's talking about. And so I want to help you understand a little bit more of what is actually happening in the fourth chapter. Uh, By the time we get to Revelation chapter 4, the final messages from Jesus Christ to his churches are now finished. And uh, so many have contributed to what we call the Bible and to everything that is prior to the book of Revelation. And uh, so leading up to it now, so many have contributed uh, to what we call the Bible. And the Apostle Paul, of of course, wrote to exhort and to edify and to encourage seven churches uh, in the New Testament, like the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica. These were all the churches in which... The Apostle Paul had an opportunity to encourage and to write to. There are four other apostles that were writing in the New Testament, James and Peter and Jude and John. They had written seven letters together along with one of my favorite, really the book of Hebrews from an unknown authorship, of course, I believe that Paul wrote that particular book. But then the Apostle Paul wrote more. He went on to write uh, the pastoral letters. There are four of them, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and then Philemon. And the church had received much instruction from these letters and from these books of the Bible and how to function and how to respond at all times and how that they need to move forward. And then they were urged by Jesus Christ to be watchful and always ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And with all of the things that are going on in our society today, the least in our mind is the second coming of Christ because we are so concerned about the stock market. Uh, we're so concerned about who's going to win the impeachment thing. We're so concerned about what's going on in the world that we seldom really think and look toward the heavens and wonder what it's going to be like to be raptured up into the presence of the Lord. We come to the first verse here in Revelation chapter 4, and twice he kind of helps us understand his focus. He says, after this, I looked. And the latter part of it, and I, I will show you these things which must be hereafter. 
I think really it's giving us a little bit more of an understanding of what the scriptures say in chapter 1, verse number 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Gives gives us a little bit more of an understanding of what chapter 4 is all about. Write the things which thou hast seen. Of course, then write the things which are going to come hereafter. And also, in the first verse of chapter 4, John heard a trumpet talking with him. Kind of sounds like chapter 1 also in verse number 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. Reminds me a little bit of the rapture of the church, and if I have my eschatology correct... This is actually opening up the understanding that the church will be raptured. If you look at the churches that are mentioned prior to the chapter 4, we see and understand a little bit more of the exhortation toward these churches to be careful, lest God remove their candlestick. But I think also understanding in verse number 1 helps us understand the rapture of the church that is mentioned in different places in the Bible. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 7, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. And so the Lord gives us a little bit more glimpse of a departure that we must be aware of that will take place where the the, the dead, of course, shall rise first and those that are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. There is what we call the rapture. And isn't really this part of his promise? In 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be all changed. And isn't that a promise that's mentioned in John chapter 14, where it says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I think about how the John found himself immediately translated here in the Scriptures. I was thinking about that this week as I had an opportunity to visit Shelly Berg's mother in the hospital. And uh, I sat down with her, and of course, when people are going through difficult times and you have an opportunity to go see them, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> I always think about why, why would I talk about deer hunting and why would I talk? I like to talk about these things, but why not talk about the Lord? And, and make sure that that person knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. What a blessing it was for me to hear her testimony on how that she as a child accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And what a blessing it was to walk through some of the understandings of the Scripture to help her understand that the rapture of the church has not happened yet, but it will happen. And we know that we are drawing nigh to that, don't we? I mean, look around us with all the earthquakes and all the things that are going on, you know. And sometimes we feel we don't have much time left. And if you sense that and understand that somewhat, then I would say that with the process of elimination, who is pressing that upon you? I believe it is the Lord God of heaven. 
Showing you that you need to prepare, get your house in order, get your heart in order, because there could be, before the service is over, a departure. And if you're left behind, it is because you never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You put your faith and your trust in a system, but never into Christ personally. And when I have the opportunities now as an older guy to go into the, into the church, into the hospitals, the first thing I want to do is make sure they know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And what a blessing it is to hear that with people. And as we think about this portion of Scripture, we see that the rapture here is mentioned. And I, I take that personal. It talks about that there is a door open in heaven I was thinking about the, the latter parts of these verses and, and moving on from chapter number 5. Let's go to 6 all the way to 18. The church is not mentioned. Because I really believe at this point we're with the Lord. And for the 18th chapter, all the way from the 6th chapter, or really from this chapter to the 18th chapter, the church is not mentioned anymore. But I want you to look at this really quickly because uh, time is fleeting. But John found himself immediately translated, of course, or transformed in the same way that we'd be raptured when we when were raptured with the Lord and being with him, raptured up into the heavens. Paul mentioned this a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 3 and 4. John here mentions it. But Paul said this, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. I believe that he is talking and describing uh, the heaven. And so what, what is this going to look like? And is he being translated, of course, or transformed into the presence of the Lord on the Lord's day? What, what does this passage look like? You know, when I was in Bible college, I had a few people that were, were far more swift than I was. Uh, one of them is Gary Gomer. He may be hearing this, I don't know. But uh, Gary Gomer was a good friend of mine, worked at uh, Detroit with, uh, what was the Motors place there? General Motors. And he was a mechanic there, had a bad back, and decided that he was going to go into the ministry. And he sat by me. We went through Greek classes together. We had such fun together. But he is far more intellectual than I am. And I thought, you know, it'd be wonderful, Gary, if you could just draw these pictures, if you could. And he began to do a series in Revelations, and I have some of them in the office and didn't look at them this week, but I, I wanted to know what this looked like. And if you were to think about these particular uh, beings that are there, um, I went on the internet and I found a picture, and I want you to see what it looks like if you could turn that on. Uh, this particular portion of Scripture and to describe uh, the things that are in the picture, as I describe it th this morning to you, we can see that there are every or there is everything in place. Uh, what is it going to look like? Brother Paul read earlier that there is going to be 24 elders. I saw a throne. And it's amazing to me. So the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is in verses 1 through 4. What was the atmosphere? What was the atmosphere? And I think as we look at this, really we understand that the atmosphere in verses 1 through 4 give us an understanding of what heaven's going to look like. And I couldn't help but see that the door was open in heaven and how that heaven must have a huge door on it. 
You know, I believe that there is going to be a time when the door is closed. Just like the ark, where there'll be no more time. It may some believe that in their final minutes they would trust Christ. I don't know. But I believe that once the door is closed, the door is closed. That they had their opportunity. And you had your opportunity. And I had my opportunity to trust Christ. And sometimes when we're going through our young age and our young brain, the emotions sometimes get so attached to this world that we don't even want to talk about what's going to happen in heaven. But heaven is a real place. This particular picture kind of gives us an understanding of John chapter, or I mean, Revelation chapter 4, where John explains what heaven looks like. But what is the atmosphere? Look at verse number 2. Or verse number 1 says, And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. But in verse number 2 says, And immediately I saw, uh, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was in heaven and one sat on the throne. So if you were to write in your Bible, if you do, you could actually just circle the word throne. The word throne is mentioned 12 times in these 11 verses. That's primarily the focus. And, then, and when we get to heaven, what is going to be the primary focus? Well, here it was, the throne. And so as we're thinking about our vision of God or our view for life and so on, I think we need to be reminded that he is high and lifted up. And nobody can sit upon that throne but him. He is God of heaven. He rules from that throne. He, is, he is, governs from that throne. That is a throne of grace. That is a throne of government. That is a throne of greatness. And so as we view it, uh, we understand that there is going to be uh, a throne. And it's mentioned here several times in these verses. But verse number two, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat upon the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper. I thought that was interesting because Jasper's here this morning. Good to see you, Jasper. Where are you at? Right up here. But as I was studying this, I was thinking about what does a jasper stone look like? yellowish, a little bit brown, look like uh, yellow. And a sardine or sardine stone, what does that look like? Uh, Blood red, by the way. And there was then a rainbow about the throne. And why a rainbow? Well, it's a multitude of colors, but it's really basically giving us an understanding that there was a covenant made in Genesis chapter 9 that God would keep his covenant and his promise. To us, I think the stone of being blood red shows that even in glory we'll be thankful that Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. And if he wanted us to remember that here on this earth, when we do the Lord's Supper at the first Sunday night of every month here at Grace Baptist Church, we ought to look toward the Lord and remember uh, the wonders of it all and how that it's nothing that we can do. It's that Jesus paid it all. Uh, If you want to turn the next picture on, I think really this one gives a little bit more of a clearer view of what I believe it's going to be like. And I don't know, other than what we see here, that these particular colors and the rainbow and the emerald are mentioned. 
In fact, if you look at this, if you would, in verse number three, it says, and he sat upon, looked up like a jasper uh, and a sardine or sardine stone. And there was a rainbow about the throne and it was like unto the, an emerald and an, unre- an emerald was green in color. So more of a greenish look to it. But I don't think the picture completely gives us an understanding because there's no red in that around the throne. And I believe that Jesus... Uh, desired for that to be put here in the scriptures. And round about the throne there were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Um, I don't know if they mentioned here, the word crowns here in the Greek language mention wreaths uh, around their head. I think that they were wreaths, but they were real crowns because there is going to be an understanding that we will be crowned at that particular time. And round about the throne were 24 elders. These were men. These were actually elders, 24 men wearing wreaths on their head. Some say it was 12 patriarchs. If you were to count all the patriarchs in the Old Testament, there would be 24 of them. And so the possibility that it could be 12 or 24 patriarchs is possible. And what he's talking, I believe, is these are 12 of the apostles also. So you have the Old Testament patriarchs with the 12 New Testament uh, apostles, and you have them here seated upon the throne. That's the atmosphere. And we see this incredible sight, and Isaiah chapter 6 gives it to us a little bit more. Turn back, if you would, to the next, the back picture, if you would. And see, there is a little bit of a burgundy, a little bit of that purple in there that I was talking about as far as the sardine stone or the sardine stone that actually is blood red. If you were to do a little bit of a study on the Internet, you would see that those stones are actually blood red. What does it really look like? Does it look like this? Uh, These wearing crowns on their heads? They are. Interesting as we see the atmosphere or we think of the atmosphere and what it looks like, it's good for us to meditate upon this for several reasons. And I'll get to that in a minute. But look, if you would, at the next few verses, I think we have also the activity, not only the atmosphere, but the activity in verses 5. What's going on here? And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I know that, uh, can you back up to the, the, there you go. There's a seven lights shining brightly. They mentioned it here. Talks about how that these are the seven spirits of God. And you can find those in in Isaiah chapter 11, verse number 3. There are the seven spirits, if you would. And they're mentioned in the, the, the letters also. It's mentioned, I think, three or four times here in the book of Revelation. The spirits of God where we understand that the Holy Spirit functioning and burning brightly in your own life gives you wisdom, illumination, not only to see your path of where you're going, but see what's going on within you so that you can continue to change. And by the way, dear friend, if you think you've arrived, you've got a long way to go. The more I see this picture, the more I understand God, woe is me. And if we think 
that we are something special, we have been deceived. You have nothing to offer him except your soul. He paid it all, and he did it all. And from here on, he is going to do it all for you. But it's not going to happen peaceably until you humble your heart before God and realize that he is high and lifted up. This beautiful picture that is displayed in Revelation chapter 4 shows us an incredible atmosphere. But what activity? Thunders. I don't like thunder. I don't like loud noises. Have you ever been in a thunderstorm and all of a sudden you just seen this flash of light and you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it, and then boom. Maybe sometime you actually didn't even see the lightning and all of a sudden, crack. It sounds like it's right near you. You know, sometimes they'll hit trees and just split that tree and there's one not too far away from our, our house, just out a little ways from the basement that the lightning hit that and, and then there was some wind and it took it down. It's kind of bent. That's the power that we see here is mentioned. Thunders and voices that were, and there were seven lamps of fire burning shows completeness before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is really the activity. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like under crystal, kind of signifying the laver in a tabernacle somewhat, where the priests would clean themselves. It's really a picture of purity, not only unable to approach, but also without Christ purifying. Not only the blood, but also the water that came out of his side. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. I think this picture gives us a little bit of an understanding of the beasts. And what are these beasts that are mentioned? If we could go back to the other picture, maybe you can see it here too. Uh, you really can see them flying. And it's actually a, uh, the commentators, and especially uh, the one John Whitcomb, the Revelation record, describes this particular, these particular beasts as the highest of holy beings because they're the closest to God as far as, you know, nearness to him. But it's interesting because they have eyes everywhere. Um, turn back to the next, to the last one again. There the eyes are. They're on the wings and the back of the heads. And, you know, it's the next verse actually tells us, and the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast's face is a man, and the fourth beast like a flying eagle. In verse number 8, it says, And four beasts, and each of them had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. What, what an incredible sight. Now, you know, I don't know if this is what it's going to look like, because no one's ever been there and come back other than John and, and actually was able to describe it. You see that there are, you know, six and six and six and six in the back. They're all sitting around the throne. And he is high and lifted up, and these beings are there. And they've seen everything. 
nothing gets by them, just like nothing gets by God. I don't know about you, but this, this is an incredible thought as we, as we look at this description. And verse number 8 kind of sums it up as far as the activity that's going on. And these, these beings are crying out, holy, 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 you know, Lord God Almighty. Uh, we sing that sometimes. Can, can I just say this? We don't reverence God like we should these days. When we get to heaven, we will. We'll be so thankful. Our God is an awesome God. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. What's interesting here is that he sums it up and he finishes not only the atmosphere and the activity, but the attitude. Look at the attitude. Verse number 9. And when these beasts give glory and honor... And thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him. That liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. That word pleasure is really the word for will. He has created all things for his will, his pleasure. They are and were created. That kind of sums up an understanding a little bit more of the attitude because there is an attitude that they don't, they're not worthy to be there. And these, these 24, and we look at them and they think, wow, they're all dressed in white and they have crowns on. Why are they laying down? They're taking off their crowns and they're laying them to the God of heaven. They're laying them down saying, I'm not worthy of these things. Thou art worthy and I am not. This is the kind of thing I believe needs to happen in some of the churches today. That we have a greater reverence toward the God of heaven. To realize that he is high and lifted up. And I don't want to just belittle uh, churches because there are some that are doing a great job. But what about these churches that are bringing these rock bands into the church? What are they thinking? Oh, dear friend, you think it might be something really light. It's not something to play with. Wearing a baseball hat while you're singing to the God of heaven. Oh, someday your head will be covered, but it'll be covered with a crown. Not an, an attitude of reverence and an attitude of, an attitude of awe. This is what actually is in heaven. And didn't he say, as is in heaven, it should be on earth? Shouldn't our worship time should be a time of sobriety and a time of really looking to see how big God is and to belittling him and trying to make him like us and trying to call him like maybe perhaps the man upstairs rather than the God of heaven who rules and reigns? In closing, I want to give you three things to think about because I think it's necessary as we understand the throne I believe it's the 11th hour, and Daryl and I were talking about this yesterday a little bit in my office. I believe that God's wrapping up his program on earth. I was thinking this morning of coming to church, you know, and I knew that we'd have a little bit of a it's Grace Baptist Church light today, I understand, because of the snow. When we get to heaven, we'll be able to praise him and glorify him together without snowstorms without things that would take us away from loving him. Without distraction, we'll be able to give him glory. 
We won't have the flesh with us. I was reminded of what Lee Blanchard said in my office, and Lee was kind of slipping away, by the way. But understanding, he said, when I get to heaven, he wrote it down, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to love God like he loves me, without the flesh, without the kind of love that we have here on this earth. It's, it's, it's not really completely heavenly love at times. We kind of say, I love you, man, with the phileo kind of love. But when we get to heaven, we're going to see an experience and we'll be able to give it away, the kind of love for God intended us to have. Lee is thinking these things as he's getting closer and closer to, to the inevitable. But as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think that if we're in the 11th hour, then there must be some help concerning this truth. Look back, if you would, to Matthew 25. I want you to read this with me. Matthew 25, beginning in verse number 1. Because we've got here another sermon. And, and really, this is before Revelation chapter 4, before the door, of course, is open and all this is seen. It says in verse number 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be like unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were foolish, and five, were, five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Interesting that these particular five would have an empty vessel. They took no oil with them. You think that was a practice that they had? But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Do you think that was a practice that they had? And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at the midnight, at midnight, there was a cry made. There's a magazine called The Midnight Cry. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go ye out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Let me just say this. Moral purity doesn't save anybody. It's a wonderful thing, but those that are morally pure and have been nuns their whole life still need Jesus Christ as their Savior to get to heaven. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil. You think that's a practice they had? For our lamps were gone out. That's really, if you look at the verb tense, they're going out. Can you imagine the fear? Give me some oil. My lamp's going out. It's the midnight cry and I don't have any more oil. Can you, can you give it to me like you gave it to me last time? Can you supply mom and dad for me now? No, I can't. You have to have your own oil. You personally must have the Spirit of God living within you. You can't, you can't borrow anybody else's oil. It's interesting as we think of this cry because it sobers up. Us. And at the midnight there was a, a cry made. And then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go rather than sell. Buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. And afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, 
Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. I never knew you. Depart from me. And why? Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. Folks, let me tell you something. There is a seriousness about Revelation chapter 4. But I praise God that the door is still open. And Jesus Christ is that door. And the only door to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And once we come to him and receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so you need to go through the door before you can get to the throne. And let me just give you my thinking. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is actually happening once we are raptured before the Lord, that immediately the judgment seat of Christ happens, and we're standing before him, and all of the things that we've accomplished in his, in his will and in his work will be judged. I know our sins won't be judged for because they, Jesus Christ paid it all. This picture I'm showing you and I've been showing you for the last 15 or 20 minutes is what I believe is the judgment seat of Christ. It's the bema. And I believe after this we had a marriage supper of the Lamb, of course, during the tribulation period that will be seven years in length will be going on. And I don't know how long the judgment seat of Christ will last. And I don't know how long this, the marriage supper of the Lamb will last. But on this earth there is going to be turmoil and the Jews will be dealt with. That's why the 144,000 will be implemented. 12,000 of the 12 of each of the tribes, of course, will go and they'll preach the gospel. And many will be saved of the Jewish people. But here and now, as we're in this parenthesis called the church, we are in this parenthesis. And this is our commandment to go and to preach the gospel to all the lands. And not just sit here and soak, but to be able to give the gospel somewhere, someplace. It's a sobering thing. And so if we have to go through the door to get to the throne, I would say to you this morning, directly go through Jesus Christ so that you can get to his throne. And if I go to him, the throne of grace, I am eligible because of the blood of Jesus Christ alone. The doorposts of my heart have his blood on it. And so I can enter into his presence and I can go boldly to the throne of God because of Jesus Christ, not because of me, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so we need to go through the door to get to the throne. The second thing is we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is inevitable. We'll all be there. Turn back to the next one. I don't know if this picture has it or not. No, it doesn't. But there was one picture that had behind all of these 24 elders, they had a host of people that there was no number watching, perhaps waiting to stand before the judgment seat of our Lord, the judgment seat of Christ. I think also... Chapter 5, verse number 12, gives us a little bit more understanding of what was heard in heaven. Not only the song of redemption that we read in verse number 9 of chapter 5, and then they sung the new song, Thou art worthy to take the book. Of course, the throne is mentioned in chapter 4 so much, but the book is mentioned so much in Revelation chapter 5. 
And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and every tongue and every people and every nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests that we shall reign on earth. And I beheld and heard a voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts of the elders and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, power. This is spiritual authority. This is the spiritual response. And then, of course, there is riches, and this is the material thing, if you're thinking about it, that he is, he is ought to be and should be worshipped with our material possessions. Our purses. We ought to give them to the Lord. Our power, spiritual response, wisdom, that's our intellect, strength, that's our physical power. I'm getting older and I'm realizing that my physical abilities are, are lessening. I want to give what I have left to the Lord. Then honor, that's that ethical thing. That's the glory, that's the moral response. And blessings, that's vocally saying, praise the Lord for his goodness. But saying with a loud voice that he is worthy. And then lastly, in, in closing, we must worship him biblically. I think when we go to this worship service and we worship our Lord, it should be done biblically. Do you know why? Because there are certain things that are absolutely necessary in a local church to help it function properly. And the first thing is spiritual leadership. It is godly leadership. Absolutely essential. Then there is sound doctrine. And sound doctrine is absolutely essential. You can have spiritual leadership and you might not have sound doctrine But in order, according to the book of Titus, we must have spiritual leadership, we must have sound doctrine, and we must have submissive or servant hearts. Those are the three things that make a church function, and this happens when we get a proper view of who God is and understanding that someday we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe you don't agree with me that this is the judgment seat of Christ, and maybe you're right, but when you get to heaven, you'll see that I am. It's interesting as we think about that day when we stand before God, we think that maybe perhaps all of these eyes that are presented here, everything is seen, everything is heard. Doesn't it sober you? Yes or no? It does. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, if this is true, then I must receive Jesus as my Savior because I've said it before that religion will never save you. A relationship with Jesus Christ will. And that's not up for debate. The Bible said, according to John chapter 3, that Jesus said, you will not even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. There needs to be a spiritual rebirth in your heart. Has that been done? Then praise the Lord. I would say that the accountability from that time that you got saved until now, God has been preparing you Preparing you for this. Go back to the next picture, if you would. Thank you. 
my main message, and I, I titled it uh, The Vision of God's Throne. But I was going to title it, Go to the Throne. Go to the throne. The door is open. You can go to him right now. And he will save you. And when you get there, he'll meet you there. And there is humility there. And there is a sense of awe there. But maybe you're already saved. And then I would say to you, go to the throne. And talk to God and remain there. And keep your heart tender so he can make you into what you should be. He has been preparing a place for you. But he's also preparing you for that place. I remember in 1983, I was back from Lebanon. I was in a squad bay. We had fire watch quite a bit. You know what I'm talking about, Tracy, if fire watch is, you're guarding things that for no reason, you know. Yeah. You may have it in the squad bay just to keep things in order or whatever. I'd sit down and you know, fire watch. I was looking through the stations and I heard a song. It went something like this. God's still working on me. Have you ever heard it? I'm not what I ought to be. Something like that. Huh? I'd sing it, but I'd, it would just blow the speakers or melt something. you know. But I'll tell you what I was singing it that day. The tears flowing down my eyes. Because I understand God's mercy. And you're looking at God's grace standing before you. Because if it wasn't for, without him, it wasn't for him, I would be nothing. And without him, you'd be nothing. Amen? Oh, we must look to him. He is holy and high and lifted up. Can you imagine what it's going to be like as we think about Abigail's song, I Can Go In? When you hear it, you just want to stand up in your car and go, Woohoo! I can go in. But you can. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. The door is open in heaven. It's going to close someday. Right now it's open. Are you ready? Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I don't know.